again and uh, welcome to Thursday and our panel this morning our final speaker will be Maria nice woman Maria closest to the altar for those of you who don't know her and then in the middle is Diksha I will begin or Swami Diksha and I'm Swami Gyande it's a pleasure to be with you we're talking about this book <laughs> I achieve glowing health and vitality I would like to begin with a little uh, postscript to the lively discussion that was had on Tuesday night with Jyotish and Davies question and answer session, especially with the provocative uh, question about why some people age more and some people age less. I was just speaking with a friend and uh, we had a little conversation about this. I hadn't been to the session, so he was 
filling me in on the details, and he said, you know, meditation, yoga postures, vegetarian diet, yoga lifestyle, they're all euthanizing. <laughs> uh, I think you want a different word. <laughs> So I'm going to uh, I'm going to pick up uh, primarily on the vitality aspect of this theme. You know, if you look up in a dictionary, vitality, you'll see things like the power to live, the power to grow, to develop, to endure, which is certainly true. But yoga takes that a significant step farther than that. You know, it's well, I'll share with you a, a, a wonderful quotation from Paramahansa Yogananda on, on health, which really demonstrates taking it farther. He said, health is not mere existence or clinging to the body. Keeping out of the hospital for a number of years is not health. To be able to resist disease, to bear strain, and to stimulate mental vitality to feel the body as a luxury, as a bird feels when shooting through the air, and as a child feels always, is health. So yoga adds that, yes, there's that power to live there, but it's, it's a joyful power. There is a, a celebratory aspect to vitality, and that's a, a very, very big difference. What I'd like to do in my part of this class is to share with you three elements of cultivating vitality, uh, each one of which could take a week of classes. I just want to hit on a point or two about each one of them. The first point is having more of an abundance of energy and more of an abundance of that life. The second point is getting that energy, that life force flowing more freely within us. And the third is a conscious and productive use of that life force as being an essential component of vitality. Because you know, a, a yogi, we want to take care of the body, absolutely, but not just for the sake of the body. We want to take care of the body so that it will be easier for us to let go of identification with the body and move into soul identification. And we can begin with this seemingly not so spiritual, but actually very spiritual, element of vitality and how to increase our vitality. Well, you can't talk very long about around here about increasing our vitality without getting to the energization exercises of Paramahansa Yogananda, or at least you better not, uh, because they're such a key component of our tradition. You know, I ran across, in this, in this book, I ran across an interesting quotation of Yogananda. He said that the Yagoda exercises, which were the original incarnation of the energization exercises, the Yogoda exercises are bound to prove to be one of the greatest boons ever conferred upon mankind. Now, that's a pretty big statement. And you know, so many people have a challenge tuning into the energization exercises. They're different. They're, they're not like anything else. I know often we have 
people come here who are experienced Hatha yogis, maybe they come for a yoga teacher training, for example, and they weren't familiar with Ananda Yoga before they came here, and they see the energization exercises, and they say, what in the world is this? Because you're not, you're not doing anything familiar. You're not uh, doing yo uh, yoga postures. You're not doing uh, regular exercise. You're not running. You're not lifting weights. It's just a different world altogether. Some years ago, uh, a fellow came and did our yoga teacher training program here, and then the next year, he came back and did it again. Uh, not because he flunked the first time, <laughs> but because he wanted to do it the second time. And uh, toward the end of the second time, I asked him, what's different for you this time? He said, energization. I finally get it. <laughs> because it, it does take some time to get it. So I'd just like to share with you a few simple points about energization that um, partly from my own practice, partly from having spoken with a lot of people about their energization practices. Simple things that we sometimes forget. Actually, the first one I want to share isn't something I forgot. I'd never thought about it before. Uh, and, and that was, I started, a, I started a, a new practice. I always tried to energize outdoors. There's so much more like prana outdoors to draw in. I know that's not always easy if you live in the city. Uh, but uh, it's, it's really ideal to do it outdoors. So I walk outside in the early morning, and before I energize, before I even pray to start energization, I just stand with my eyes closed and try to feel the vitality of nature all around me. And it's, it's, you know, when you stop and ponder it for a moment, the vitality of nature even at a time of year when there are a lot of things that are brown in this part of the country, uh, vitality of nature is just overwhelming. You think, I'm, going to, I'm part of that. That same vitality is inside of me, and I can draw more of that. Nature has an abundance of it, and it's just waiting for me to draw upon it into my body. I just stand there for 15 seconds maybe 30 seconds if I'm really getting into it. That's all. And it's just change the face of my energization practice. Try it if you don't already do it. Another thing that uh, I found very helpful and many people have found very helpful, slow down. <laughs> now, newer people don't have a problem with this. <laughs> Yeah, they're just trying to trying to get their way through it and find that they have these body parts uh, at all. <laughs> but people who've been doing this for a long time, it's uh, you can start to clip along at pretty good pace, and you and the mind can start to think, oh, well, I can be relaxing this body part at the same time as I'm engaging this other body part. Busted. <laughs> Take your time. Slow down. I did an interesting exercise uh, a little while back. I thought, okay, Sonakriyananda says the energization exercises should take us around 12 minutes. So I opened my spreadsheet and, you know, and typed out all the different exercises and tried to figure out, okay, let's just, let's just take a nominal amount of time here uh, and try to figure out how, what 12 minutes translates into. 
I thought, okay, how long does it take to tense low, medium, vibrate, vibrate, medium, low, completely? I thought, three seconds. Okay. I actually timed myself many times, three seconds. Um, and actually, that's, that's going along at a pretty good clip. So I put that in the spreadsheet and then went through exercise by exercise. You know, not everything is a low, medium, vibrate, relax, medium, completely exercise, but kind of taking that philosophy and spreading it through the exercises. I gave every exercise, you know, here's the number of repetitions, here's how long it takes, and totaled up in the end, and guess what it was? Twelve minutes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, this works. But you know, even that, that is really clipping along. You know, it's not any tearing. So if you want to take longer to do energization of that which it takes to get you to that place of full tension and, equally important, full relaxation before you move on to the next exercise. If that takes you 15 minutes, if that takes you 20 minutes, do it. And I always tell people in the sadhanas here at the Expanding Light, and if I'm leading an exercise three times, but you're not able to get to full tension and full relaxation in that time, do it too while I'm leading three. Much better. Quality is much more important than quantity. Slow down as you need to so that you can really get the power of these exercises. Draw that vitality into the body. A third element. You know, I often see this when we do energization, especially outdoors or when Diksha and I take a group to uh, India for the, t for the two-week uh, Ayurvedic healing and yoga retreat each year, uh, we do our energization on a, on a hillside facing the Arabian Sea. And, uh, uh, surprisingly, everybody wants me to have my back to the Arabian Sea. And, and so my little bit of advice is, close your eyes when you energize. Take it inside. It's so easy just to get lost in the scenery. And when you know these exercises, it's so easy to go on autopilot. You know, muscle memory kicks in. Your, your body knows what comes next. You don't have to think about it. So you're there, kind of doing this and doing that. Wow, look at that surfer out there. You, you know, and funny things can happen when you energize that way. For example, have you ever done the super short energization? <laughs> that's, the one, that's the one where you start out, double breathing, backward charging, ankle rotation, hip rotation. I <laughs> <laughs> <That> was fast. <laughs> I went so deep, I wasn't even aware of the passage of time. And then there's the, the infinite loop energization. <laughs> right, or you're getting near the end, you've done the abdominal recharging, you're doing the double breathing once again, the calf recharging, ankle rotation, and then the calf and uh, <laughs> right back to the beginning. You can go pretty much indefinitely that way. You can go on autopilot. So close the eyes, go slower, pay attention. And the last thing I want to mention on, on energization is, just remember, this is not some uh, subtler form of electricity that you're drawing into yourself. There's 
as as Master put it, there is the there is the consciousness of divine joy in each lifetime. God is there in that energy, and you're working with that divine presence. Really try to tune into that as you practice these exercises. It's it's God with you. This is a partnership, and if you make it a conscious partnership, number one, it's a lot more fun. But number two, you get a lot more of that energy, vitality, and joy out of it if you just plug in. You know, when I first, first time I ever came to Rajasi Day at Ananda Village many years ago, before I even moved to Ananda, each spring we have an all-community work day called Rajasi Day in honor of Rajasi Janakananda, Yogananda's foremost disciple. And it's a kind of time to, to lift the vibration of the whole community. Actually, when I first started doing this, it was primarily a time to get rid of trash that was uh, strewn all over the ground, some of it actually buried several feet deep. I remember we digging up an old automobile once. Um, but uh, this is my first Rajasya Day, and we were engaged in the disposal of the plastic palace. So some of your old timers will certainly remember the plastic palace. Uh, at one time, it was the Ritz. It was the most desirable housing accommodation at Ananda Village. And it was just over below where the Center for Radiant Health is now, on that very steep hillside. It was partway down the hillside, most of the way down the hillside, actually. And there was a platform that went out horizontally. And the nature of the Plastic Palace, it, it was called that for a name, for, for a reason, uh, that it was a very skeletal wooden structure with translucent plastic stapled to the skeleton as the walls. And that was, well, as I say, in the early days it was uh, a place of high desirability, but by the time I came here it was a place of high degree of embarrassment to <laughs> Ananda Village. And for this particular Rajashi day it was time to dismantle the plastic palace, which uh, we had a big crew doing that. And everybody had different jobs. There were people with sledgehammers and people with crowbars and people with chainsaws. And uh, my job was to take the wood that was being extracted from the plastic palace, carry them up, carry it up that steep hillside and drop it on a burn pile up there. So I did this all morning long. And then we broke for lunch and I did it all afternoon long. Now this was a very hot day. It was only May. We don't usually have days like this in May, but it was hot. It was probably 95 degrees, something like that. And in the afternoon, somebody decided to light the burn pile. And that made it substantially warmer. So I was laboring up this hillside with an arm, arm full of, of this usually rotting uh, wood, and more often than not crawling with carpenter ants, but carrying it up the hillside to this burn pile. Of course, if you want to not have the burn pile go all over the place, you have to get very close to the burn pile in order to put the wood on it. And so that's what I was doing all afternoon. About halfway through the afternoon, um, I started to get a little tired. In fact, I started 
to get a little bit discontent with this area of service that, that I've been assigned, and uh, sort of, what time is it, and is it time to quit yet? And, uh, so I was pondering my uh, disagreeable state of mind, and uh, I happened to notice somebody else who, was, who had the same job as I did, by the way, and this was a uh, woman, one of the nuns here, Funny thing, she'd been doing the same job that I'd been doing all day, and she was marching rather smartly up that hill. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm younger than she is, I'm in better shape than she is, I'm bigger than she is, how come I'm tired and she's not? And I, so I watched her a little bit, and I saw that she was very, very, she wasn't connecting really with anybody. She was very internalized. And I could, I could just see that she was involved in letting God's energy flow through her. And probably took a good bit of willpower, but, but enjoying that energy rather than thinking of the physical work that she was having to do. And she just never slowed down. And I said, well, I'm going to do that. And you know something? It wasn't hard at all. All it took was a shift of perspective. And it's the same in energization. It's a shift of perspective from, okay, tense here, relax there, tense here, relax there, into, this is God flowing through me. It builds, builds the amount of energy we have so remarkably. And we can do this anytime. We don't have to be doing any kind of physical exercise, you can be sitting right there in your seats and watching this and just feeling God's energy flow through you out in this amphitheater. Nature's vitality is all around you, underneath you, blowing across the lake through the amphitheater. It's there just to tune into. Try it. That abundant energy is always there. And then, the idea of getting the energy flowing freely. It's very easy, easy for energy not to flow freely through us. That we have plenty of ways for it to get stuck. And I'm not talking like sticks and stones uh, in, in uh, plumbing, but rather ways in which energy gets siphoned off into this or that uh, unproductive usage. Our speakers yesterday did a wonderful job of talking about resistance. Resistance as the great magnetism killer. Right? <laughs> and resistance is the great vitality killer also. But I'd like to talk about a different kind of energy getting hijacked. We may think, it's easy to think that because energy is moving, therefore it is flowing freely. And that's just not true. And Jyotish talked about this in the class on Tuesday morning. He talked about when we, when we react to life circumstances. Oh yeah, energy flows. When wonderful things happen, energy flows upward. Oh great! You know, when, when things that we don't think are so wonderful happen, oh great. <laughs> energy flows downward. That is flowing energy. There's no question about it, but it is not freely flowing energy. Because it is energy that is simply responding to habit patterns 
that we have developed over lo these many incarnations of liking this and disliking that. And even when it's, oh, great, that doesn't mean we're free. That just means we are following the pattern that we have established in days gone by, and that energy is not free, and we're not free. So to begin to insert ourselves into this reactive process and to, to stop that, if it's, if it's going, oh great, you think, well, that's a good thing, right? Not if it's outward. But it's just, I, it's just, as Joe Tish was saying, it's just convincing us that the next way to be happy is to have the next, oh great. And we have to have the oh greats before we can be happy. Instead, to in, insert ourselves, and as soon as that oh great starts to happen, we say, whoa. Or as soon as the oh great starts to happen, we say, whoa. You know, just grab onto that energy, and the more vitality you can muster, the more abundant your energy, the more you can feel energy happening, the more you can feel that reactive process happening. The more you can feel it, the more you're aware of what's going on. That is the place that you can insert yourself in the process and say, wait a minute, I am not going to get kicked around, kicked around by the frogs of past habit. I'm going to insert myself in this. Because it's only when we come to this place when the, when the reactive process has been stilled. Well, let me, let me read to you a quotation from Art and Science of Raja Yoga. Swami Kriyananda writes, this is a long one. The yogi, realizing that his dualistic involvements spring only from his own reactions to the world around him, and observing further that these reactions are always accompanied by upward or downward movements of energy in the spine, concentrates not only on improving his mental reactions, but also on controlling and neutralizing those inner movements of energy. In this esoteric technique lies an amazingly useful key, for specific likes and dislikes are so numerous and varied that it's almost impossible to root them all out and correct them. But they do have one thing in common. They're linked to the energy flow in the spine. If this energy flow can be brought under control, then specific likes and dislikes will be more easily tamed also. Our energy comes under our, more under our control. Our mind, much more importantly, our mind comes more under control. And then the energy that's flowing in our body really does become free. So watch that reactive process. And now that you can insert yourself any time you want to, and the more vitality you have, the more energy you have, the more ability you have to direct your willpower into that situation and say, not this time. Not this time. I am going to be free. Now the third element of greater vitality, greater health, is making a very, very consciously productive use of that more abundant, freely flowing energy. One of the uses I just talked about, inserting yourself in the reactive process. Another 
It's just being more observant about your, what you're doing, not scattering your energy. It's so easy when your energy ri level starts to rise to just start to be like the balloon that gets blown up but not tied off. Right? And just let loose to, to fly all around in every direction. Wow, that was great. And, and it falls right at your feet, the same place it was in the beginning. Now to really watch that, that as, and as we practice yoga, we do get more and more life force available to us, more and more energy, and it becomes more important how we spend it, because it can much more easily take us off track. We didn't used to have enough energy even to get off track. Okay? But when we have enough energy to get off track, then we have to start to watch ourselves more carefully. How am I spending this? You know, I, I was so interested, I still remember the, the first time that I saw the, the video that we have of, of Pastor Paramahansa Yogananda, the two different video clips, the one where he's just sort of out on the city streets, you only see it for a small number of seconds, then another when he's performing a wedding ceremony. And I remember that wedding ceremony, uh, first time I, I saw it, well, second time I saw it, I was watching it with Swami Kriyananda and, uh, and and other people over in Ananda Assisi, and he's just so completely focused on what he's doing. It's like, oh whoa! You, know, you want to stand back a little, little bit. It's just overwhelming. The the focus. There was only one thing that was going on right then, and that was that ceremony. He was so plugged in. Afterwards, I asked Swami. Was he always that intense? And Swami so said, oh yes. <laughs> he was always that intense. Not always that serious, but always that completely focused on what he was doing. You know, when I realized I was going to be talking about vitality, I was half tempted to track down a great big screen and simply show that 10 or 12 second clip of Yogananda where he's just right up near the camera, sort of smiling and looking into the camera as my vitality uh, show and tell. And uh, we're going to show that and then say, so, any questions? <laughs> and sit back down. But we don't have a big enough screen for that or a powerful enough projector, so here, here I am having to talk. But to, to focus like that. I mean, all the masters, all the saints have that kind of focus. Swami Kriyananda has that kind of focus, certainly. We're all Swami Kriyananda's in training. We're all Paramahansa Yogananda's in training. And just to be very, very specific about how we spend our energy. You know, I've just been, just finished uh, writing a, a, a book on Ananda Yoga, waiting for crystal clarity to say, okay. We can start on it now. We can design it now. That's called spiritual yoga. Higher awareness through Ananda Yoga. In this group, the term spiritual yoga, of course, is redundant. But in the world at large, it is not redundant. Um, there are many different kinds of yoga that have nothing to do with spirituality. Uh, which, if I had more time, I'd get into. But I'm not going to. Um, but over the years that I've been teaching Ananda Yoga... I've really come to see uh, the simplicity and the, and the genius of this practice, which came from Master's approach to, 
through Hatha Yoga, but Swami formalized it into the Ananda Yoga system. And really, I'm going to say what we're doing is gathering our energy and simply using our energy to give strength to positive states of mind. Why? Because it's in those positive states of mind that we're on the wavelength of God. That's re it's, really, it's really that simple. It is, it is God's grace that is going to come and help us, but it can't come until we have, it can't penetrate to us, it's here already, but it can't penetrate into our consciousness until we are there on its wavelength. And then all the practices, this is what we're doing. Even in Kriya Yoga, you know, we're not going to storm the gates of heaven with Trikonasana. We're not going to storm the gates of heaven even with Kriya Yoga. What it's going to do is to open us to God's grace. And the more we can put that awakened vitality, that awakened energy into our practice, the more we can be lifted up onto that level where those states of mind always have existed, always will existed. The only difference being that we'll be there, too, instead of being somewhere else. Now I want to close with a, a story of a disciple of, of a man named Sri Brahmananda Saraswati, who, because of the length of his name, is for now I'm going to be called the guru. Uh, <laughs> he, is a, he was actually a friend of Swami Kriyananda. He, he left the body some years ago. As many of you know the story, Swami would sometimes tell of Dr. Mishra. Well, this was Dr. Mishra, Sri Ramananda Saraswati, and the story is told by the disciple to whom this happened. And uh, there was a gathering of a number of disciples uh, with the guru, and uh, this particular disciple was somewhat full of himself about his abilities in Hatha Yoga. And the guru noticed this. And he... he Point him out and said, Are you able to do the half lotus pose? <laughs> and the man immediately went into half lotus. And the guru said, Very good. Uh, are you able to do full lotus pose? And the man, trying to appear humble, uh, easily went into full lotus pose. And the guru said, Excellent. <laughs> now, I'd like you to, with your right hand, I'd like you to lift it overhead and grasp your hair. Very expectantly, the man did so. The guru said, now, lift yourself off the floor. <laughs> and the man got the point right away, of course, <laughs> that you can't lift yourself by your own bootstraps. You can't lift yourself by your own hair, either. <laughs> that this is God's grace that is going to do the work of doing that. And when we can build our energy level build our vitality and use it in such a way that we can lift our mind onto higher planes, then it's God's grace that can come in and lift us even higher, lift us out of body identification, lift us out of energy identification, out of vitality identification, into soul identification. And that's the best health of all. <laughs>